Good evening. It is absolutely wonderful to be back with you all. And I'm going to say it's probably operational error, not uh, equipment error on that part of that, because each of them are different to the point that usually I end up removing my tie tack before I get the mic off, because they clip on about the same. So, you know, the, the verse of that song, I have to um, just say something about it. Make me to know thy way wherein my path should be, because my soul each day do I lift up to thee. That, that song tied in perfectly with my lesson, so thank you for leading it. You didn't even know that I would like that song to be led that way, but, but you know, I, I sent to Adam this week, and he asked, and I appreciate your all's uh, reaching out to me that way of what the title is of, of the lessons. And, and at home, I've been talking about the wisdom that can be found in the book of Proverbs. And not that I'm going to preach four lessons to you tonight, but I want you to know a little bit of the setup of how I get to this lesson. Because it's, it's critical that we think about the wisdom that can be found in Proverbs. And the first two lessons of this series are about finding wisdom and what wisdom should mean to the Christian. Okay, and where that wisdom should come from. And in that lesson, the, the, the big point of that is, is there's two ways that wisdom are found. It's either by trial and error, which in the life of a Christian can take some time, or it's by being wise enough to listen to others that give good counsel. And that's how you get wisdom, okay? And then the second lesson is heavenly wisdom for an earthly living. And that's basically just saying that all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the direction we need is in this book to live here on this road. And I kind of likened it because everybody's familiar with Google Maps. You know, I know where I'm going and I still put it in Google Maps because I want to see that blue line pop up that says that's the quickest route to get where you need to go. I'm telling you right now, if you follow this, this is the blue line that will get you to heaven. You won't have any orange slowdowns. You won't have any red stops. It may seem like it, but this will send you on the blue line that will get you to heaven. Thirdly, the next point that comes in is now looking at the wisdom of Proverbs in regards to the family. And this is a lesson that is just not popular right now. Because the family is the, the, the nucleus of what we should be. You know, in Ephesians, husbands and wives are told to be able to be the mystery of the church if you're the husband and wife you should be. And then the children learn what the meaning of God is from the parents. And it, it progresses, and then you teach them what it means to, to know and have wisdom, and you show them what it means, and then they grow to be that point that they should be. But how do we do that anymore? You know, life's short. We don't get a long time to do this. It, it clips along pretty quickly. I'm amazed that my oldest has been with me 17 years now. It just doesn't seem possible because we adopted him when he was five. You know, the other kids are getting bigger, and it just seems like a little while ago when they moved in because we adopted all three of our kids. You know, our external existence here is greatly influenced by how we live in this little short life that we have. And I'm telling you, you ask anyone in here that's young and they think the days drag on and the school years never end and you get to someone that's older than me and I won't try to be the judge of who that is and you ask them how quick life seems to be flying by right now and they will tell you life is short. All right, so it's imperative that we don't waste our time through trial and error. Finding of wisdom is a family. We need to focus down on what the Word of God says, and that's the source of this wisdom. You know, 
if we don't, life can be miserable to us. You know, in Proverbs eleven twenty nine, if you want to turn over there, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs pretty much the whole time. So if you want to put a marker in that area of your Bible, we may flip over to a verse here and there. But as a whole, we're going to be staying in the book of Proverbs. But Proverbs eleven twenty nine says, Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. Life is too short and families grow too fast for us to raise our children with the trial and error method parents. Children, there'll be some stuff I want you to perk up and listen to too. But I'm I'm really talking to parents right now. Especially fathers, husbands, the heads of the household. Life is too short for us to mess around with trial and error to raise our children. Because you will look someday and they'll be the prodigal possibly. And hopefully they'll return. Or we'll look someday and they'll be that older brother that you never really had and you didn't realize we can't live by trial and error. We've got to do what the Bible says. So we must seek important advice from where we get it. And where would that be? It's here. You know, there are a lot of good books out there that I like. There's some parenting books I've read throughout the past years, and I think that they're good on this or good on that, but there are several that have just led the population astray over the years. And we need to turn from those. If they don't line up with what's taught in here, They don't make the cut. So look, read, educate yourself, but go back to the Bible. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. What does the Bible say about the family? And first, and a lot of this, like I said, fathers and husbands, one thing is providing for the family. All right? And I know that we think oftentimes, and what we have to realize is that it's crept in, is that what we think necessities of life are aren't what necessities of life are. Necessities are food and clothing. Necessities are shelter. It's not luxuries. You know, when I got married to Sarah and we moved to our first apartment, I was happy with the little 19-inch TV that I had. And Mom and Dad had the big TV at home. But today, you look at couples and they think when they get married, they need to have as nice of stuff is what their parents have now. Their cars need to be as nice, their things need to be as nice. And that's because unfortunately they've gotten the idea that the necessities are important, but those aren't necessities. You know, I can remember when I got my first car, and my daughter would cringe at the thought of this. My son actually had to do this. And my daughter is in a way, because one headlight doesn't work and it's got a big dent on the front and you know, so forth. But when I bought my car as a kid, and you guys may think I'm nuts, some of you that are driving right now, I bought it six months before I had my license because it didn't even run. Dad took me to this guy's house and said, son, this is the truck you're getting, pay him the money, which was my money. And we drug this truck home and I had to work on it for six months before it would even run down the road. I didn't have a S10 like he did, I didn't have a Cadillac like mom drove, and they always bought them used. They didn't go extravagant, but but they had nice cars, but I didn't start with a nice car. And that was okay, because it's not a necessity. So, So dads, husbands, don't lose sight. Moms, don't lose sight on what a necessity is for your child. You know, where emphasis should be 
is in instilling fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. You know, one thing I've always told my children, and, and trust me, I, I preach this lesson because I need it, and I haven't got it all perfectly figured out, so don't, please don't take me as I think I'm the expert up here, okay? But I think I'm going to where the expert is, and that's in the pages of Proverbs. It would be better to be poor and have to share one car than to have so many things you lose sight of each other and never in the same spot together. Which is, you know, a good comparison since I'm here by myself tonight because my kids had things going on up home. But, but it's a little bit different situation there because that, that's not the norm. And they, they, but, but you get so many things that sometimes, I, why do we need four cars at church tonight? You don't think we have things? You know, where are we putting this emphasis on? You know, it was better. It was great today because we didn't have those things. We were all crammed in the same vehicle to church this morning. And then we were all crammed in that same vehicle to get to where we were going to lunch with, with a bunch of people. And, and I'll tell you right now, being crammed together and joking with each other and being with each other was a better situation than being all separated and not being around each other. We made a memory today. Make those memories. Because it's not about having a lot. It's about realizing the fear of the Lord is greater. Okay? The beginning of knowledge is where we should be putting emphasis. Are we teaching our children where knowledge comes from? If you go to Proverbs 1.7, if you go over there, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, so, you know, the translation of the fear of the Lord you know, yeah, there's a little bit of trembling there, though, but that word really says respect. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. The respect of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, okay? If you realize and fear, and if you respect the Lord the way you should, you might be scared of him, too, if you realize he's the one that controls life eternal and where you're going to be someday. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Are we teaching this? our children are, are we living in such a way that I fear the Lord and am taking this in every day well what else should we put emphasis on as the the family well it's the means to prolong life possibly Proverbs ten twenty seven says the fear of the Lord prolongs life but the years of the wicked will be short right. that's not absolute okay so you know the the rain falls on the evil and the good you know, the sun shines on everyone. Life does take place. But I'll tell you, a person that lives a life that's good is less likely to suffer some of this fate. You know, I have friends in high school that went out and drank, and they died in their senior year of high school because they wrecked their vehicle drunk as a kid. If they would have lived in the fear of the Lord and not been doing things they shouldn't have, they might have, I had other. I had one other friend that died in a car wreck that was going down the road with family. They were doing nothing wrong. So that doesn't mean always. But the folliness of wickedness will catch up with you sometimes. So, in right, yes. If you're living in the fear of the Lord, you may have a long life. All right? Because you're doing what you should. But even if that life comes up short because of some weird accident and you're in the fear of the Lord, where is that long life going to be at for eternity? It's going to be heaven. That's the long life we want to live for. I'm not worried about making it to 
you see here's one of those things. I know Charlie just turned 91 up where we go, so I usually joke and I'll go a year older than he is to say, you know, I'm not worried about making it to 92, you know. I, I want to make it. I don't care how long I make it here as long as I make it to there and I have that long life in the presence of God for eternity. So we have to be teaching this. And we have to be living in such a way that our kids look at us and go, why does dad act that way? Why does mom act that way? It's because we have the fear of the Lord and believe that the fear of the Lord will prolong our life. Well, also Proverbs gives us the key to avoiding sin. Proverbs 16.6 says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. live in such a way and we study these words, we'll turn away from that sin that presents itself for us. We need to be steadfast in love and faithfulness and by the fear, the respect of the Lord, one will turn away from evil. You know, the key to true wealth can also be known about. You know, this is what we should be talking to. And I, I and I know I use my children, so in some ways I'm kind of glad they're not here tonight because they aren't sitting here listening to Dad use them as the examples. But, you know, I don't mind that my son didn't go to college because he wasn't a college person. He loves mechanics. He went to school, passed his mechanic class. I'm happy. The only thing I've told him is you need to pick a profession that will provide for your family. I don't care what else it is because that's not the important thing of life. I told my daughters, I don't care what you do as a profession, even if you have one. If you're living a life that you're happy with as a wife and raising the family you want to live, I don't care if you do that. If you want to go to school and get some education, pick something that will help your family. I'm just waiting for one of them to go be a chiropractor, really, but I'm ready for them to be able to help me. Or my one's interested in haircutting, and that'd save me 25 bucks a month. You know, do something that helps me. No. The key to true wealth, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord, is riches and honor and life. The fear of the Lord, then, is perhaps the most important thing I want to suggest that we need to give to our families, husbands and fathers and parents. We need to teach the fear of the Lord. Well, what else do we need to give them? I think we need to give them love. Absolutely. And we've got to remember, love can be a feeling, but love isn't always a feeling. Love's an action, all right? So when I read this verse here, Proverbs 15, 17, it says, Better is dinner is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. All right, so I paraphrase this to fit my family. Better is a dinner of broccoli than a ribeye if love's with that broccoli. It doesn't have to be something special if they're striving with it. Some of the most fun I can recall and some of the memories that surprised me, and again, I'm not done with this child-rearing thing, so ask me in a few years. My last one could test me good. I don't know yet. But ask me in a few years what some of my surprised me about some of the things and some of the memories my kids give me are never about things I gave them it's about eating a strawberry shortcake down in Florida together it's about going to the state fair and eating pretzel dogs it's usually about being together 
for the real good things of life. So, sorry kids, if you don't like broccoli, but it'd be better to have that with love in the house than to have that favorite meal of yours. And I can tell you from studies and from talking to younger people, and I, I struggle with saying that now because I'm realizing I'm starting to become one of the older people. There are kids that I've talked to that would love to have less, but have their parents truly care about them. And for them to feel that. Because there's a difference between going through the motions and them actually feeling it. They would love to know that their parents truly love them. Because that's one thing we have to remember as parents right now. And kids, remember this too, please. We're not your friends. We're your parents. And we have to behave that way. There'll be a time where I can't wait to be friends with my kids. But right now is not it. Right now is the time where I impart the fear of the Lord to them. And teach them the things they know to be successful. Not here, but to make it to heaven someday. And someday, I will be friends with him. And I do now. It, Jack's old enough now. We, we chum around. We do stuff together. But you know, we don't not have fun. Don't get me wrong. Don't take it to the hyper extreme. But it's okay to say no. And I know every kid in here is probably thinking, don't tell them that. It's all right to hear no, kids. It means they love you. All right. And you'll really like the last point I get to here in a little bit. So we'll save that for a minute, though. The other important thing is providing a peaceful family life. Look at Proverbs 17, 1. It says, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting and strife. We don't always have to be jesting with each other. And I have to work on this, not to tease with my kids too much in that. It, quietness, love, peace is better than a crazy house sometimes. Give it to them. They will like it. You know, we're getting ready to do some traveling tomorrow and traveling on Wednesday and traveling on Saturday and some different things going on. And my 12-year-old thanked me for being able to stay home tonight. And it's not because she didn't want to come see you guys. She likes seeing people. But she is needing a little peace before we have what takes place there. And then my wife's at home cooking for multiple days and doing different things better in a quiet house sometimes than always being on the go and it will seem weird if you're one of those busy lives it will seem weird and I can tell you I can remember the day that I told my son we weren't doing soccer anymore and that just seemed to upend his world for a little bit and then I explained why and you know that next fall we didn't even think about it we were excited because we got to go more gospel meetings and do more things and we didn't even realize that we were really even missing it but we got to a point as dad, I had to say, you know what, co-ed soccer is maybe not the best for you now. And he was pretty good at it. I don't think he'd had a career maybe, but he was pretty good at soccer. But when we went from being an all-boys team to now being co-ed, you can't control what the ladies wore to practice. And you can't control the things that people wore on the field. You can't control running into the opposite sex. And I made the call as dad to say, we aren't doing soccer anymore. It's just my call. I'm not saying anyone in here has to make that same call. But I'm just telling you, there's things like that that you may have to consider, and it's okay. And you know what? I don't think Jack misses it at all. He never has. 
but there's a point where you have to not be the friend because it'd been fun to keep going to soccer games. But I had to be the dad and look out for his heart. You may have to make that call. Well, a wise father or mother realizes spiritual provisions are more important than the material ones. That sums up all of that. Well, again, we talked about not being worried about the material provision so much, but the Bible gives us some peace on that thought as well, too, though. Because the opposite side of that coin about not worrying about all the material things is the fact that in Proverbs 20 and 7, it says, The righteous who walks in integrity, blessed are his children after him. In Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And all those things that are talked about back up before that verse, it isn't about the extra car, and it isn't about the second TV, and it isn't about the extra game station. It's about food, shelter, and clothing. So if you do what you're supposed to do, those things that are important will be there. The righteous who walks in integrity, blessed are his children after him. Children of righteous parents will be blessed. Proverbs 24, 3-4 says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it's established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Yeah, I think back to that verse right there. And up in our old house in Madison, we had a piano. We went through a phase where, you know, everybody wants their kids to learn to play an instrument, right? And we had a piano carried into the house. That was a long day. And when we moved, we said, free piano. We weren't moving it again. But that piano ended up not being something any of the kids took off to. But, you know, some of the best memories we had were at that piano. Because when you went across the top of the piano, there was a picture of my wife and my son at 12,000 feet in Kazakhstan when we adopted him. And there was a picture of my daughter, the middle one, and Jack and us on a playground in Columbus where we met her the first time. Those are the riches and the precious and pleasant riches of life. That piano didn't mean a thing. Didn't mean a thing. We'll have what we need. But the beautiful things of life will come, and it won't be the things sitting around. It'll be the things you look at on the wall. I can remember in every one of my grandparents' house seeing pictures. And, and as a little boy, that impacted me. Grandpa, what's that? That was my platoon I was in. Grandpa, what's that? That was your aunts and uncles. What was that? And there's all these memories here. And the neatest thing he had in that whole house, and I still don't know why, but I started like, was he had one table that had a coffee grinder in it with a lamp on top of it. And that's the only thing all of us cousins knew not to hit, mess, or break. Because otherwise, he didn't care about anything else in that house. But he loved those pictures. Those are the precious times of life. Make those pictures. Remember to take those memories. Because you're going to look back at them someday. If you're living somewhere, or homeless even, you could have those books and pictures and remember life is good because of what took place. You know, this thing here, this adequate provision thing. You know, in 2015, I worked for a company called Ecolab and I thought I was going down to talk to them about a transfer to a different division with them, doing some training. And I showed up at a meeting and they said, we've got a cab called, your service is no longer needed. Didn't see it coming at all. 
was a rep of the year for him nationally, had been doing things that was good for the company, setting training records, sales records, doing good. But they didn't need me anymore. And that year, pension for pennies and doing odd work and doing these things, I got to spend a year working and laboring with my son, and that's the year I obeyed the gospel. I'd get fired every year if I needed to. I don't want to from preaching, but I, take my point, please. I'd get fired from that secular work every time if it would provide what was needed to have the time with my children to instruct them into the Lord. It's worth it. And you know what? The necessities were met. We didn't go hungry. We stayed in the same house. Nothing happened. But the good things that were necessary happened. And Jack obeyed the gospel. Well, now to the hard part, though. Raising the children. All right. I sound hard there. Sorry. Nothing wrong with you kids. You're okay. No. We have to discipline them. All right. And this is the part that, unfortunately, will we'll maybe set oddly with some, but we have to use corporal punishment. The Bible teaches it. You know, Use properly, it demonstrates love. Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think, you know, at 16, 17, I wasn't using a rod on Jack, but I was using a different form of the rod by either grounding him or this. But as a small child, that little cute diaper butt is perfect for correcting because they aren't mentally able to go dad wants to reason with me that I shouldn't do this because I trust dad too the rod's meant for that and it won't hurt them and when they get older they'll be able to have some this but if you love them you'll discipline them you know what else does Proverbs say that the rod is for folly is bound up in the heart of a child but a rod of discipline drives it far What's it say about the soul of a child? Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul. All right, so I'm going to tell on myself because I remember my last spanking to a T. And I didn't grow up, my parents weren't Christians until well after I obeyed the gospel. But mom was not scared to use the rod. And I'll tell you, it wasn't always in a correct way some good unfortunate whippings but I can remember the last time that mom was mad at me she'd go get the belt I went and got the belt well actually she said what do you want a spanking or grounded and I kind of calculated for a minute and thought, I'm going to go with the spanking she gave me the spanking I hopped up and I said are we done and she said no now you're grounded for four weeks alright there's a time and place, parents, where this discipline changes. It grows. But the rod of correction isn't because you don't like them. It isn't because you aren't their friend. It's because you're your parent. And it will impart wisdom to them and help them avoid shame. All right? Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself will bring shame to his mother. We've got to help children do this. And that goes on for a while. All right. Proper discipline has its own reward. Proverbs 29, 17 says, Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. 
He will give delight to your heart. Rest in delight by disciplining our child. How does that manifest itself? Well, to the mom or dad, and I don't know that it's anybody in here, but if you're struggling with this and your child is wearing to your last nerve because you tell him to do something, he don't do it, and he doesn't do it, and he doesn't do it, and you tell him he doesn't do it, and you're just frazzled. I don't know how I can do this. Come get your kid before I kill him. You know, yeah, the old Bill Cosby joke. No. Spank them. Discipline them. Let them know that's not acceptable. Because at later time, you'll have delight in it. When you say no or when you tell them something and they learn at home if there's a wood stove, no, 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 don't get close to it. You administer the rod on a little kid. And they learn to do that. Someday when they get ready to run into the road and you actually tell them no, they stop and listen because they know that every time they said no to this wood stove and they got spanked if they didn't listen, that no meant something over here and it was important. You have to train them. You have to teach them. You have to give them that time. All right? And, of course, it has to be proper. Okay? So please don't take, don't take this part of this lesson wrong, but it's something that, unfortunately, our culture says no to. Okay? And I can tell you that because when we went to try to adopt a second child, sitting across from Child Protective Services, they asked me, how do you discipline your child? You talk about an interesting thing. Because the word spanking is a no-no in that thing. The word rod or whooping will get you in trouble with them. But they ask me, not only how would you discipline them, how do you do it? So I'm sitting in front of a panel of Indiana's representatives after already adopting one kid and have to explain how I discipline a child. You know what? I couldn't deny what the Lord says. Proverbs says you use the rod on it. And I told them what the Bible says. And I explained how. I go into a room and I pray. Because discipline's not meant to be abusive. Discipline is meant to be disciplined. Alright. I go into a room and I pray. And I send that child into their room. And then we go talk about it. If they're old enough to understand it. Again, remember, some of those children are little and they don't have the comprehension at 18 months to reason. But they understand a, a sting to the backside. But as they get older, we talk about, you don't lie. You don't tell falsehoods. You don't, and there's certain things that involve corporal punishment in our home. And then after I do that, I go in and I spank them. And then I hug them. I tell them I love them. And before we leave the room, we're walking out together to go do whatever we're going to go do. Because punishment in isn't meant to go on and on and on. It's meant to drive correction and folly out of the heart. And I wondered if we were going to show back up in Jefferson County to CPS sitting in the driveway. And they never did. They didn't choose us. And that's a hard thing to go through too. But we were exactly told, you aren't chosen because we don't think your way of discipline would work. And I had to say, I can respect that, but God's way will work. Thank you. It will work, and we have to be willing to do that. You know, and the other thing we have to remember is it has to be done while there's still hope. Proverbs 19, 18, discipline your son while there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. If you're pulling out your hair because they haven't listened to you all morning, when you finally get time to apply this, you're probably putting it out in 
frustration, not because that's what they needed. All right, we have to train our children. All right, don't strike them in anger. It's not meant to be abusive. It's meant to be a correction, and then it's meant to be done. And then you're meant to go on to those good things of life. That's being together. Well, it shouldn't be to vent or let off steam. You know, it's meant to discourage bad behavior. And we have to take the Ephesians um, admonishment here in Ephesians 6 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. But that balances there nicely. I'm not doing this because I want to upset them, I'm not doing this because I want to frustrate them. I'm doing it because folly is in the heart of a child and I'm wanting to drive that. So how do we go about getting past that part, all right? Because that's not the fun part of it, you know? Nobody likes to. I never liked to spank Beth or Jack or him. Never wanted to. But if they needed it because they lied, if they needed it because of the things that we said in our house was worth corporal punishment, then if we didn't give it to them, we were giving them mixed messages. And someday when they read and they read and read that God is a just God, that won't let you into heaven unless you put on Jesus in baptism and been faithful and it's still by his mercy that he lets you in, they're going to get to the end of life and go, I didn't think that was real. I can't believe I'm not going to heaven. There is an eternal principle behind this that will get your children ready to face the living God someday in judgment day. And it's important. Right? So, as we move on to this, more wisdom comes from other familiar verses here in Proverbs. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a children in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And that's probably what a lot of your translations say. There's a few that say it a little differently, and I actually like them better now because, unfortunately, that almost feels like it has the, the backing behind it that it's predestination. If you train your child the way he should be, then he'll never leave. No, we're free moral agents that sin against God and sin as we are. And we aren't perfect. You know, look at the prodigal, right? That was supposed to represent God, and he had two sons, okay? That father, in principle, raised them perfectly, and they still had to choose themselves how they were going to respond. So this this way here, I, I, I don't like the way this reads. I actually like the literal translation verse that I read from more, and it says, train up a child according to his way, even when he's old, he won't depart from it. We have to use his way to do the training. That's the point of that. If I try to take my way and come up with something that's non-biblical, then it's going to frustrate them because they won't know the way. Train up your child according to his way. You know, different kids are different ways, right? I've got one that I, I can look at and she'll bust into tears. Now, I don't, very seldom has she ever been spanked because she just breaks. Now, a couple, one of them, uh, uh, I thought I was going to have to get a new spoon, actually, but they're different. But you have to know your child, too, all right? So don't embitter them, as Ephesians recommended. Know your child. But realize, discipline has to come. And I'm going to tell you, it will look differently. You will look different. It will seem different. People will think of you differently. 
But at some point, they're going to look and go, why do those kids listen to their parents? And you're going to be able to, as parents, say, you know what? It's because the authority of how we raised them came from here. It's not because John's a good parent. Because I'll tell you, I, I lose my temper. I get impatient. When I say something, I want them to do it. You know, I, I'm not perfect at all. But every time that I try to go, someone says, I got good kids, I say, it's not because of me. It's because I'm trying to do this. And I still mess it up. But it's because I'm trying to do what this word says. But that's what we need to do as a family. And husbands, you need to lead it. Wives, you need to support it and be a part of it. Grandparents, support it. I can tell you now, you ask, ask my kids, and they, they laugh at this, but I've told them, I said, when you have kids, if they're acting up, and the same rules will apply, but if I have to spank them, I'll spank them as my grandchildren. And then I'll come find you and ask you what you're doing. But it's not because I want to spank them. It's because I want them to find heaven too. We have to do what we need to do to help them see the Lord. You know, train up a child in the way they should go. Train up a child according to his way. Even when they're old, they won't depart from it. You train up a child in his way, someday standing in judgment, if they hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, they'll understand why. And if they hear, depart from me, I know you not. Because they were trained in his way, they won't act shocked. Teach them the word. But you know what? We have to look different. We're called to be different. We're, we're not to be like this world. We're not to be, you know, clones of this. We're not to try to be incognito. We are meant to be different because we're his. You know, this is an exhaustive parenting lesson. Some of you may feel like it has been, and I'm sorry. I haven't been for it to feel long or go long, hopefully. But, man, it's critical because we're losing a battle right now. I was doing some reading on things, and, and the number one thing is an absent parent is just bad as a parent that's not engaged almost. We have to love our children. We have to do these things, and wisdom comes from this book right here in itself. And hopefully, you know, just to give you a preview, or you may think, oh, no, he's coming back. But in December, we're going to talk about the wisdom of friendship and what the Bible has to say about it. And I'm going to tell you now, you'll be surprised what Proverbs has to say about your friends. It tells you how to pick them, it tells you who not to pick, and it tells you how to keep them. And we're going to look at that together because life is about these relationships right here for the short time that we're here. But man, I encourage you parents, pray for me, because again, I ain't got it right, and I'll be praying for anybody that's a parent. Because the number one thing, not success, not cars, up at home, everybody knows that I love Dodge Challengers. That's like my car. It's not about me having a Challenger. It's about me getting my kids so that they know who the God of heaven is. If I get that figured out and I die with nothing, I'll be fine with that. But I have confidence that I won't because I'll have what I need. If I'm trying to do his will as a family, he'll give me everything that I need. And that's my encouragement tonight. Do what, he, do what you need to as a family. 
And I know different families are a little bit different. Each family lives a little different. There are different things, but, but go back to this word. Let it be the absolute standard. Look in it. Compare yourself to it. Think about it. And remember, at some point, if we all live long enough, we'll get that chance to be friends with our children, but right now be parents. And show the world what a family that loves God looks like. So that we can help each other get to heaven. That lesson itself doesn't have a bunch about obeying the gospel. It, well, it does a little, because if we're being like we should, we're, we're teaching our children what discipline from the Lord would look like. But the first thing we've got to do is we've got to hope and train our young ones to know that there's salvation in Jesus. That's the key. Everything relies on him. And you've got to hear his word. You can't just go off what I say. You gotta go to the pages of it and you gotta look at it. Now I saw a lot of people flipping tonight, and I thank you for that because I didn't make this up. This is all in, in here. Alright? The guidebook is here. The blue line is right here. Alright. You gotta hear it. You gotta believe it to the point that it makes a change in you. Alright? I'll trust that little GPS enough that when I see an orange spot, I'll start looking for a different road. And I'm telling you, when you get to the orange spot in life. Look in the manual for where it tells you you need to go. And it may tell you you need to repent. You need to completely change your way. You need to go the opposite way of what you're doing. You need to go towards the Lord. And when you do that, then you're going to be with a group of people like this probably, and you're going to confess Jesus as Lord. You're going to be willing to come up in front of people and say, you know what, Jesus is it. He is the Lord of heaven. He is the Christ. And I need to put him on and die with him. And you'll be baptized. You'll be put in. I was joking. I leaned forward and I said, is there water this time? Because last time after I said that, they let me know there was a leak and it was actually halfway empty. So, But if there's not water here, we'd find water. And you can die with Jesus tonight. In his death and raise new. And start living a life on his blue line. And then you got to remain faithful. Follow that line wherever it takes you. You know, we blindly trust Google to drive us all over the place. Well, it's a lot smarter than Google or Siri or whoever, whichever phone platform you like. But follow it. Let it lead you to where you need to go. And I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed in the end. I'll probably stand in judgment someday and go, and when he says, hopefully enter in, that's what I plan to hear. That's what I'm faithful and confident to hear. I won't go, man, I never had that challenger. You won't remember any of the things that were bad in this life because you're going to be in the presence of the God of heaven and his son that died on the cross to save us and the myriad and the picture of angels around him and the beings and everyone else that's been faithful to him. And you won't think twice about the fact that, oh, maybe I only had a ranch house all my life. Or maybe I only had this. Those necessities won't be important. And you'll be excited to think, you know what? My children are here somewhere safe too. Tell me, it will be worth it. Choose to be a different kind of family for the Lord. Live by his wisdom in it. And you'll make it. That's it. Please come as we stand.